0: Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and Tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. On the planet. With your host, Paul Murphy and expert coach, Nick Nanavati.
1: Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. My name is Palmer for your host. I'm joined, as always, by Nick Notavati.
2: Hello, hello, everyone. So good to be back.
1: And Anthony Vanella.
2: Hello,
3: hello. Haven't been on in quite some time. Super
1: excited. Yeah, it's (laughs) going to be amazing. So, you know, I met you first time on the scene at the uh, Games Workshop US
3: Open events where you were tearing it up. Yeah, doing my best playing the Drakari back then.
2: (laughs) And now you've leveled up becoming an Art of War coach even. And now you're here on the show.
3: That's true. Part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> That's how it works. Just one
1: level after another, and we're going to be talking a lot about in this episode about how cool Abaddon is.
2: Yeah, at least really will. A
3: good portion of it. <laughs> I'm super excited.
2: Uh, chaos has been near and dear to my heart. Anthony, you brought home a super major with chaos, and I think it's just wonderful.
3: Yeah, it was a. It was an eight round event. I don't know how they do like the classifications anymore, but yeah, it was uh, definitely a bit of a slog. <laughs>
1: Hey, Rouse, that's pretty cool. So we're in the, in the first part of the show, actually, this is actually part one of a two-part episode, I want to remind folks of that. Uh, we're going to be going down the list itself. We're going to be talking about maybe some, um, you know, command point usage and whatnot. And then also we're talking about maybe how you, uh, combos you try to, like, layer on things and strategies about uh, the list and some unit options that you picked in part two of the show, which is only for subscribers of the Art of War podcast series. We will be talking about how you actually... Face certain matchups. How you go into to winning events? But well, let's go down the list. Anthony, please tell us about the list.
3: Cool. So to start things off, right off the bat, we have a Supreme Command Detachment with Abaddon the Despoiler in it. He, I spend a CP on him to give him all of his Warlord traits. From there, it goes into an Emperor's Children Battalion. We have three HQs: a Dark Apostle with Illusory Supplication, a Lord Discordant with Flames of Spite, a Bale Flamer, and the Mantle of Traitors. After that, we have Lucius the Eternal, the Emperor's Children unique Chaos Lord. From there, it goes into the Troops choices, where we have two cultist units, just base 10-man units, and a unit of Noise Marines, which is a Noise Marine with a Blastmaster, seven guys with Sonic Blasters, and the Noise Champion, with also with a Sonic Blaster. From there, we have the Elite choices, which are a Chaos Terminator squad, with two Chain Fists and four Power Fists, everybody else has just bolters and Accursed Weapons. Is uh, that
1: a full 10-man?
3: It's a full 10-man, yep. And then we have a the Champion of the Squad has the Black Rune of Damnation, a relic given to him through the Trophies of the Long War stratagem. From there, there are two five-man Possessed Squads, a unit a five-man unit of Raptors, and then a five-man unit of Havocs with four Laz Cannons. And the Mark of slanesh is applicable throughout the entire list, because as Emperor's Children, you have to have it.
2: Okay, so we've had Mark Perry on a few weeks ago to talk about Emperor's Children. His approach was super different to yours. He had lots of small Rubric Marine squads. He didn't have Abaddon. This Terminator Brick was nowhere to be found. What <laughs> is this list trying to do? How does it actually come together on
3: the table? So how it pilots is a little different depending on the opponent. Against some matchups, the smaller... Like possessed MSU units, you know, tend to hit the flanks and like go out and achieve things. But mostly what you're doing is you're using the Terminators with Lucius and Abaddon on one side to basically go on a straight line for the opponent's deployment zone objective, while the possessed, the Discordant, the Raptors, and the Noise Marines, with the Dark Apostle occasionally helping them handle the rest of the board. They do the skirmishing, they pull up the side objectives, they lock out table quarters. A lot of my playstyle as a person is developed by how long I've played Drukari. So uh, clearing table quarters tends to be how I view the game because of good old-fashioned Herd the Prey. Um, it turns out it works really well for the more elite style of Chaos as well. To just like clear an area of enemies rather than trying to play the trade game with them because you're so expensive if you can't really afford to do that
2: so i see like a fairly one-off si- size style of units you got one big terminator break one unit of five epics one unit of five raptors What does each of these units kind of bring to the table as one ofs
3: yeah so units came in as i noticed issues with the list and things tend to fill specific roles as an example i as a player hate playing against flyers those Havocs, combined with a 1cb um, slanesh stratagem, note it is just slanesh, so any legion has access to it, um, tend to take flyers clean out of the sky. So the way the stratagem works is, you spend one command point on it when you go to activate the unit. From that point, you can turn a hit, wound, or damage roll into a six after you've rolled the dice. So that gives a degree of reliability to Laz Cannon damage that you normally don't have. Combined with the Emperor's Children Legion trait of ignoring ballistic skill and hit modifiers, Havocs are very likely to hit and land damage into their targets because they hit on threes and their strength nine, making them wound most things on threes. Usually it's pretty good for pulling at least one flyer out of the sky. So, that's them. The raptors were just a quick unit that could go somewhere and put a banner up, as we'll talk about secondaries later, but that's a fairly common secondary choice for this army. And so, they're just quick, and someone has to be fast. Sometimes they'll just sit and deep strike until I can pull them down later and just make people screen, and then I'll never really deep strike them to charge because raptors, at the end of the day, are just assault marines with fancy chain swords, so they're not the most scary thing. But they're good for actions and they're a little expensive for what they do there. But a lot of this list changed a little bit after the event, which obviously we can talk to you later. But that's like kind of the role of those like individual toolbox style things.
1: Is that your thought though, the speed of these, that they will be able to do something? They're going to be kind of a Swiss army unit in the army.
3: Yeah, they're not like again, they're not great at like killing things, but they'll do they'll hem things in. They'll move, block again. They'll put up a banner. They'll kill some opposing. Was it like if kind an opponent like has like something small and
2: flexible to be a multi-tool in a list that otherwise had very specific purposes for all of its units.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's what the Raptors specifically ended up being. The Possessed do a good job of that as well, but for different reasons. Well,
2: why don't you explain that with the Possessed, and then I have a follow-up question about this as well.
3: Yeah, of course. So the Possessed, as a lot of people may or may not have noticed, don't have core. So they don't benefit from any buffs, which is both an upside and a downside. Normally, not having access to buffs is just a bad thing. But in a list like this, where you have specific buffs that need to go in certain places, as an example, the Dark Apostle always wants to buff the Terminators. So it's not like the Possessed could have benefited from that anyway. So on the upshot, they are a little bit cheaper, and they're super efficient stuff. That blocks for what they do for 28 points you get a movement nine five attack t5 three wound man who is also quite good in melee um in emperor's children you have a fairly reliable output from them because again they're always hitting on threes so the targets that they should be fighting they're wounding on threes likely um and then sometimes they have the upshot of occasionally gaining a AP through the emperor's children legion trait so they're really good at clobbering whatever the equivalent unit of that is from most lists if like if uh, someone wants to send, like, van vets to an objective, right? They'll usually win that fight. Even buffed van vets have a hard time going through them efficiently. And you can get there with that high movement. Yeah, they're movement nine, and they benefit from the Emperor's Children highlight real stratagem called Honor the Prince.
2: I, I like the breakdown of the Possessed. It's like this kind of just well-statted mid, mid-range mid skirmish unit. It's exactly how I like to use them as well, and especially with yep. Honor the Prince, which we will get into in just a bit. But my follow-up question I wanted to ask is, How, through your playtesting process, do you determine you need a unit like Raptors? Because Chaos has been out for a very short amount of time. This GT happened some time ago, so it's not even like you had had even less time to learn the army to a pretty proficient degree. And I know you've been playing a a lot of different stuff with Chaos Knights and and then WTC testing where you're playing Tyranids, and now you got this Chaos Space Marine Army together. So how did you come up with the Raptors and, and just units like that?
3: So pretty frequently what I do when I'm building lists, I am super aggressive as a player, so I know what more or less I'm going to need out of a list when I'm going into it. Something I always look for is cheap troops, excuse me, and then a fast unit that can go and do an action somewhere that would be otherwise awkward for me to get to. These are staples of pretty much every list I build. I'll take the cheapest possible troop choices to hold the side objectives that I'm not super worried about or my home field, and then I'll take another fast unit or two to do quick skirmishing stuff so that I can have 17 to 1,800 points of my army focused on the fight itself, which is what I'm trying to essentially win in most games that I'm playing. Um, I'm not ever staying on my side of the board, I'm always going to my opponent 99% of the time. There are very few things that can make me deviate from that game plan as a player, so I try to build my lists accordingly.
2: That's a really interesting approach to the game. Most people don't just build every list in the same concept of Pushing at your opponent. I know you're, you're known for very aggressive play, Anthony. It's one of the things you and I differ on greatly, so I'm yes. eager to pick <laughs> your brain on this approach.
1: We'll we'll talk
3: about what it means to be an aggressive player in Part 2 as well. Yeah, of course. 100%. It is definitely uh, my specialty amongst the Art of War coaches.
2: I also want to get into how you've changed your list in Part 2 specifically, because I think that's some really awesome stuff that you not only want a tournament going 8-0 and through the entire thing, but also found ways to evolve it. That's really cool. So, subscribers definitely want to check that out. Let's keep going through the list, though. You seem to have. Well,
1: let me let me jump around a little bit, though. Let me actually highlight the Lord Discordant specifically because this is something we did not cover in in Mark's lesson. When we gave his take on the Emperor's children, and Lord Discordant brings some very
3: interesting things to the table. Yes, so the Disco is my uh, my sweet boy, my my rotten soldier. He goes and does the does the deeds that others cannot or will not. So. I, in addition to disliking Flyers, also really don't like losing to Knights. The Disco blends them. Um, so through his Warlord trait, he gets full rolls to wound again, and sixes to wound do a mortal wound in addition. This is on a unit that has 14 attacks base. His Relic, the Mantle of Traitors, gives him full roll to hit. So after turn three, you can conceivably at least fish for sixes. Over top of that, what Mantle yeah, of Traders... you talking about
1: the, using the Wanton Destruction
3: or what... what uh, it would be Wanton Slaughter. Really? Yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. it was Slaughter. <laughs> yes, it is DMS is the order. Destruction, Massacre, Slaughter. That's actually a very good way to remember it. Yes, it's like DMX, but a little different. The... The Mantle of Traders lets you use a Epic Deed stratagem once per game for free. So on the Disco, that can either be the minus one damage stratagem for Demon Engines for one CP, or you can make the two CP three-inch fight last from Emperor's Children free once per game with him as well. Over top of him having Mark of Slanesh, you can make fight phases super awkward for your opponent, because Mark of Slanesh gives you always strikes first. So the last bit of equipment that he has is the Technovirus Injector, which is a free upgrade on him. You just take it instead of the melt gun and it gives you plus one damage in melee against vehicles on all your profiles. So, he becomes super-duper dangerous to any vehicle in the entire game, A, or B, any regular unit that would suffer from 2 damage weapons. So, yeah, he's a he's a real, real monster in melee. He rips through Sanguinary Guard. He puts a beating on pretty much anything else that I can see him going into in a reasonable manner. The Mortal Wounds help get him there against something more tough, like Terminators. It's his volume um, of attacks, right? Yeah, yeah, it yeah, it really just adds up very quickly.
2: <laughs> so... One thing I think that's interesting about your HQ selection is you've gone for the Disco Lord and a Dark Apostle, which both make perfect sense. They're awesome characters. Disco Lord, as you just described, is a monster, and Dark Apostle is a fairly generically good support piece. But where is the Master of Possession? Like, every piece of content we've produced, including my own personal opinions, are like, this guy is an auto-include. Especially if you're going for durability, because he heals your guys. And and he's just nowhere to be found.
3: Yes. So I live really close to TJ, and TJ Lonigan is a master of the Thousand Suns, and I do not think that the Master of Possession adds enough to the list to balance the fact that I lose access to Abhor the Witch and give Thousand Suns access to Wrath of Magnus. And, knowing that I have to play Mr. Lonegan all the time, I don't want to just lose that matchup by taking an extra dude who's pretty good in some matchups but I don't feel like turns the corner enough on the list as a whole for me to need him. That and is Lucius really is real good.
2: <laughs> yeah, cuz it's it's like you know your local meta to the degree where it's like I have to go through this guy to win the tournament and I will make my list, you know, a little bit worse, but like sustainably worse. It's not like you've you've ruined your army clearly um to help that one specific matchup, which when I was you know, trying to win LVO and ITC and all that—that that is exactly how I approached it as well. So, um, really nice job with that kind of meta call, if
3: you will, or personal. choice. Yeah. I broadly think for Emperor's Children that building in something like a Poor the Witch is actually very important. Uh, the Master of Possession is super good, but because I'm not taking that many demonkin units, he just doesn't. He ends up adding less durability than Lucius does, and that sounds crazy. So, let me know if you want me to explain that now or later. No, we're, no, we're, here. Do. We're, yeah,
1: we're actually going to talk about Lucius, too, because, <laughs> I mean, he has a very powerful ability, but, you know, doesn't shine as bright as some of the kind of customizable characters, but has a cool built in thing. So, so many we'll eventually questions. get.
0: Like, <laughs> you,
2: we're comparing the master possession, who is not present, to Lucius, who is also not present. They don't do any of the same things. What is going so, on? Anthony unpacked.
3: So lucius has on his data sheet a three inch fight last base it does not require a stratagem it's just a thing he does over top of being a fairly deadly character when he fights anything with weapon skill three or better he has eight attacks that hit on twos at strength five neg three flat three damage his flamer additionally because of how the rules are currently written when you are within half range does three damage so he is a monster over top of that Access to that fight last, while Emperor's Children have a 6-inch heroic stratagem, means that you can position him within the Terminator block such that no opponent can ever engage them in melee without catching at least one fight last from him. In addition, if they try and multiple engage you with more than one unit, you can use the 2-CP stratagem for a 3-inch fight last on Lucius. So using him, you could fight last two units at the same time. It is... Not impossible, but extraordinarily difficult to approach that Terminator area in anything approximating a reasonable manner. So instead of resing a guy that dies, you just never lose that guy.
2: Yeah, I, I'm with being really meticulous with your placement of Lucius to make your Terminator unit completely unassailable and even more deadly in combat. And if anything, you can think of him in that vein as like a squad sergeant upgrade where now, your Terminators have Fight Last built in and awesome in combat. Um, but then also, you can just break off and do his own character thing as the game progresses.
3: Yeah, but when By I the look end at the, of the Master game, He's just holding hands with Abaddon.
2: Yeah, that's that too. We gotta we got to talk about the Big Daddy in a second. But yep. the Master Possession part of his value is not just in reviving a guy, it's also in the fact that you get Delightful Agonies, which is five of fuel and Pain on Slannish units, which is everybody. So Abaddon appreciates that. The- you
3: can't because he is not in the same legion see this is why
2: you're the this is why you're the guest (laughs) going can appreciate it though you know they they quite do so you still think because i I look at that as nice defense against like damage three weapons which are all over the place and shooting which lucius isn't helping with shooting so what's the thought there
3: so against shooting i get cover uh which on a two-up base armor of contempt body is been largely enough i haven't I don't view the Terminators as something that needs to survive all the way through the end of the game to get value out of them. They are essentially a 300-some-odd point delivery system to make sure that Abaddon, Lucius, and the Discordant get across the table without any damage on them. And then if they get there and the opponent chooses to ignore them, they will violently destroy whatever they touch. But if the opponent chooses to ignore them, uh, chooses to engage with them, you're doing so at a deep level of disadvantage because again you can't really ever functionally you can't ever really advantageously engage with them in melee shooting them you're shooting into again i'm almost always ensuring they're on cover so you're shooting into a one-up save with armor of contempt which is not efficient in any stretch of the imagination for 99 of profiles in the game as an example you would take two-up saves against armager hellverns which would normally lights out those dudes it just becomes an over into durability, which isn't what this list is doing. A huge part of the skill cap of this list, actually, is knowing when to switch from using Illusory Supplication from the Dark Apostle on the Terminators to switching over to Blissful Devotion for the Advance and Charge. Because um, there is a turn in almost every game where it is correct to be like, okay, the durability of the Terminator unit is no longer important. It's much more important that I get into Melee this turn. So you put on the Advance and Charge Prayer. Use honor the prince. Your terminators move eleven, and then you use honor the prince in the charge phase. And they charge a minimum of eight as long as they're within range of battle. Let's catch everybody up on what honor the prince does. So the way honor the prince works is that you can. It's a one CP stratagem that you can use in the movement as well as the charge phase. If you use it well, in the movement
1: uh, phase, the reason you can use it because it's a stratagem and you can use in different phases of the game and you use once per phase.
3: Yeah, the clarification there is that it's not like you use it once in the movement phase and it applies in the charge phase as well. So the use it in the movement phase it gives you a six inch auto advance use it again in the charge phase because now you're in a separate phase and it makes your charge into a d6 plus six roll um this is important that it's different from fate dice where if you use a fate dice on a charge and you go to command reroll, roll you have to roll both dice with honor the prince you're just re-rolling the one d6 that you rolled you keep the plus six so it is super strong for making contact um so yeah that's the uh, that's the broad idea. The list isn't meant to be like a I sit in middle, I tank list. The list is going to them. It's going to take them away. You win most games off of primary differential, and the way you achieve that is not is by ensuring that your opponent ever can't really efficiently melee trade you, so you get stuck in middle, and that's the idea.
2: All right. So I like the premise. You're basically just running straight at your opponent. Terminators and behind the terminators is Abaddon, Lord Discord, and and the Lucius buddy. So with Abaddon, what is he doing for this army aside from just being awesome? Are you you're just bringing him because Abaddon is auto include or do you think he does supporting roles as well?
3: I think he's really good in certain legions, like there are certain legions that don't need him. Um as an example, like I don't think Creations of Bile or Word Bearers as examples need him or Iron Warriors, but I think in Emperor's Children he adds a lot. So, because I don't super highly rate a lot of the Chaos choices for damage dealing super high it is difficult to find 300 points of a list that does damage the way that abaddon does damage
2: what does that mean exactly we all know abaddon is a monster in close combat but is that is that what you mean that nothing hits as hard as he does or yeah
3: do mean- essentially nothing hits as hard as he does at the profiles that he has right there's no real source of flat three in this army there's no like thunder hammers or anything like that you can't get them, they just don't exist as a weapon option. There's nothing that does mortals in addition or has his volume of attacks in a character screenable package, things like that. Over top of that, he gives you access to a stratagem that Emperor's Children otherwise would not have access to at all, which is the Corn marked stratagem that lets you deny a spell on a 4-up within 24 inches of that unit. Um, otherwise, in Emperor's Children, where everything has to be marked as you would not have access to that stratagem at all. But because you have Abaddon on the list, you do. Um, that is really nice to have. Additionally, because you have a Black Legion detachment, it gives you access to Black Legion stratagems. So you can do things like changing Abaddon's uh, Legion trait for a turn, giving him something like Advance in Charge through Red Corsairs or Fallback in Charge from Alpha Legion through a 1CP Black Legion stratagem. Um, so he's a lot more flexible than he looks like he would be on the tin once you are familiar with all the different Chaos Legions and you know like in a given situation, like, oh, okay, here, this is really good.
2: That's really cool, and also a testament to how adaptable you've been, because I know you've been playing a lot of different
3: armies, and Chaos has been out for not that long. Yeah, Chaos was out for, I think, two weeks or a week and a half by the time Salt City hit.
2: For aspiring players, and you can answer this as a coach as well, how do you learn such a large volume of rules and digest it and and go through it quickly? Because you also haven't been playing 40k for all that long. Like I've been doing this forever. Paul's been doing this for as long as the Mm, dinosaurs were on the Earth.
3: <laughs> um Yeah, I started recently. I started playing at all the weekend the Eighth Edition Iron Hands Codex came out, so not that long in compared to others. Like three
2: four years now.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's three. I think this September is three years. So yeah. So the way I the lens I view things through tends to be that like I know what I'm looking for in a list. Right, there are a few like key things that I know, like good melee units. Advance in charge, the ability to mess with things in the fight phase, so sources of fights last or fights first. ways to contest the primary if my secondary game isn't particularly strong, which is something that's super important in this list. Learning tuning the list so that you have the right amount of either shooting or action or psychic, whatever it may be that's not melee to make sure that you're keeping up the tempo of the game in terms of scoring in other ways other than just like i run at you and you're dead um which works like most of the time but not all the time and you need to be able to have other threat vectors, right be it scoring or psychic or whatever it may be than just like punching things or you can just have infantry and fly and ignore most of the things that would be able to screen you either one works shout out to blood angels but yeah like the there's a lot of options basically when it comes down to it and abaddon enhances the volume of options that you have also putting fully roll to hit on that terminator unit makes them nasty for sure uh, let's talk about that so there is
1: actually i will say that being able to confidently march into your opponent opponent's deployment zone in any game like almost every single game is almost li- is liberating and helps you out i think a little bit with your uh, one playing aggressively and maybe with your overall strategy approach to each and every game
3: Oh yeah, for sure. Are you i find mean, finding that pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. That's been great broadly. Um, managing Abaddon's wound cap for me as a player, as well as like forcing my opponent to manage it, has been a big deal. I always ask like at the start of every game, in addition to my usual pregame spiel of like, hey, do you have ways to deal damage in phases besides, you know, shooting and fighting? And then obviously we go over psychers and things like that, as well as like movement sh- strats or like charge phase strats. So I can make sure that Abaddon doesn't just die in a turn. Or if he does, I can set it up so that he's this is a multi step play. So you can use the one CP strat to put Abaddon into creations of Bile if you know before your next command phase he's gonna die in melee, so he can fight on death. That requires real vision. I've only ever had that work once, but when it did work, it was real cool. Um sounds <laughs> like such an awesome play.
2: Definitely one for that brutal cunning session we get to later on. Yeah, exactly.
3: Much. It's like it's like a multi-step thing. But yeah, for Abaddon again, it's like you can march him in. I can even with the Terminators, you can go forward knowing that like if my opponent presents a reasonable amount of threat to this, I can respond to that doing XYZ. And if they don't, the next turn they lose their deployment zone objectives. Um and that's basically the situation you put people in.
2: That's pretty sweet. It really is. I want to like, go back to your list as an overall concept though. Why is it Emperor's Children? And I say that not because um, for children isn't great, like we we should go over why it is up for children first. But then there's a lot of great legions in chaos. And if the army's all about getting faster and in close combat with your opponent, red right, corsairs might make sense or killing your opponent in close combat. that well,
1: possessed, the get word
3: bearers. Word I mean, there's, bears, there's all right. kind
1: of options here,
3: yeah. So, so there's a, why up for children and why not everybody else? So, everybody in chaos brings a variety of things, right? Speed. For red corsairs, because everybody can always advance and charge, but that's something you can get access to through the prayer. Through the prayer, creations of will make you a little faster, a little stronger, but not meaningfully enough that you're not going to just use the prayer anyway. But they also give you fight on death. However, that's something that emperor's children get through a stratagem. Uh, word bearers give you four reroll to hit. We cover that by taking abaddon or by ignoring hit modifiers and getting a plus one to hit on top of having Lucius's reroll ones, which is at that point essentially the same thing. Um, a lot of what other legions do emperor's children can mimic in pocketed windows as long as you manage those windows accordingly other legions outside of night lords on one thing don't have fight last at all so the fight phase control of emperor's children specifically is head and shoulders above what the other legions could even hope to do very frequently especially against like like a less experienced opponent i have to like stop them at the start of like basically their charge phase and be like, all right, listen, this is how all of this works and like explain it again. Because otherwise it's very easy to trap yourself in a scenario where I'm getting free interrupts or I'm interrupting and then fighting with the next eligible unit. Like the A lot of the fight phase steps and control that Emperor's Children offer can't be mimicked by other legions. So that's why we're here.
2: That's a great answer. So basically you picked the legion that had unique elements that could not be replicated when everyone else had really good elements, but you could kind of get them sort of if you work really at it with your list design
3: yeah if you spend the cp if you design the list in such a way so on and so forth um and that was basically it also this was the one i felt the least bad about not taking the least bad about not taking a master possession in, so i could have access to a aboard the witch because I, I love that stratagem that choice still boggles
2: my mind but it makes sense it really does when you put it in context
3: yeah it's definitely something you have to play with and against to be like oh oh it actually doesn't make this much of a difference not having it here
2: when you play your games to go back to the havocs which you said you broadened as you found you need to know a solution to flyers don't you find flyers just kind of fly up and blow up your only shooting unit and then you're back to square one with them
3: if someone gets too close to the havocs and kills them then the noise marines light them up real hard that unit shoots super hard especially if you get close um, so, we didn't touch the Noise Marines yet. Yeah, we, we'll, we totally we'll skipped a unit that's like 5% of my list. Um,
1: <laughs> we'll so, get there.
3: Come on, man. It's an hour show. That's fair. So, the Noise Marines are a nine man unit that used to be a 10 man, but 10 man doesn't really get you anything with them these days. You used to be able to take two Blastmasters, you can't anymore. Um, so, they have one dude with a Blastmaster who is like the best gun in the book. It's not even close. Um, so, it's got like a larger profile that's essentially three. Shots at uh, strength 8, neg 3, 3 damage. um, Or a smaller profile that is 6 shots at strength 5, neg 2, 1 damage. Then all the dudes in the unit have a sonic blaster that is strength 4, AP 1, 1 damage. Now, on the face of it, not a particularly impressive shooting profile. But, when you get within half, all of those profiles get an additional point of damage. Over top of that, they have a 1CP strat that is essentially... Wrath of Mars that also turns off A unit's ability to overwatch or set to defend Set to defend I'm positive that Nick has been bad touched by Wrath of Mars enough times to know to be afraid of that And the rest of the shooting becomes Real scary once you get within half For
2: those who haven't been bad-touched by Brath and Mars, it's an admixture engine that means sixes to wound are mortal wounds, and noise marines fire three shots a guy, six on that high-volume profile becomes two damage all of a sudden, and sixes to wound immortals, and all of a sudden that unit with prescience and Abaddon rerolls destroys everything.
3: Yes, no prescience, because I can't take that. But yes, even just the Abaddon rerolls is enough usually, because you're never hitting on worse than threes, even if you advance. So this unit could theoretically move 12 and then shoot, Without like for one CP, and just light you up at full efficiency because they never take any hit or ballistic seal penalties. Yeah, any better?
2: It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty good. Do you find though your army is just a pile of walking Space Marines? Like it's ten Terminators, nine Noise Marines, five Havocs, five Raptors, ten Zest.
1: Hold that thought. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break, get a little bit of station identification, then we'll come back and talk about all the walking mass, and then yeah, 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 we'll get to the Noise Marines.
0: <laughs> Like what you're listening to? Be sure to check out the second part of this episode where we break down specifically how our guest plays against all the top armies in the game. Want even more awesome Warhammer content? Check out the War Room. The War Room. You'll gain access to the minds of the best Warhammer players in the world with brand new content every single week. Join our amazing community, elevate your game, and enjoy your hobby more.
1: We are back. Don't forget to check us out in part two here in just a little bit. Okay, Nick, pick back up right where we left off. You were talking about how this is just a bunch of walk-in power armor.
2: It's just a bunch of walking power armor. There's just noise marines walking around, five Havocs, five Raptors, ten Terminators, ten Possessed. I literally just listed your list. And this is ninth edition. This is 2022. Damage be brutal out here. How do you survive?
3: Uh, that's the trick, Nick. I don't. Living is for those of the lesser legions. We here in the third embrace our death. So all of my units, I expect to die by the end of the game, basically except Abaddon, maybe my dark apostle and my 10 absolute champions that hold down my back objective. Those cultists, maybe those guys don't get touched. Maybe they do. Who knows? But everyone's life in this list is expendable for the, you know, the purpose of the long war. When you've built your plan to be aggressive, you don't expect most of your army to make it through the other side of the game. The goal is that everyone goes into the grave and they pull points in on their way out. And that is the idea. So the games I'm winning aren't because, uh, like, unless someone, like, made some serious mistakes in the fight phase and I was able to really leverage the Emperor's Children, like, strategy writ large, turn over turn. Like, by the third, second or third time it happened, they were still just, like, getting getting caught out by, like, the myriad web that the list weaves. Usually a lot of this stuff does not make it, and normally that's okay, because we take secondaries that require me to kill my opponent and not me to be alive, um, and that's usually the way it works.
2: I love that approach to the game, because you know, to, you're know you not tying points to necessarily killing your opponent or or staying alive, you're tying points to, to the objectives and whatever your secondaries may be. So, I mean, with that said, how do you actually score points with this army? What was your secondary plan, or is it so malleable? Do you plan to put your opponent in just a points hole that they score less points than you and doesn't really matter how you score specifically
3: so yeah this next part's gonna gonna hurt you nick and i'm sorry in advance so my should i brace myself brace yourself oh my god so my goal for secondaries with this list is to get across the three of them about 30 points maybe 25 if i after you told me to
2: brace for impact i was ready for 15
3: okay so that's good (laughs) So, yeah, 25 is, like, acceptable to me. Like, if I'm, like... We'll get like 25. We're good. The you know entirety, it's out of 45, right? Like, like, oh, I'm aware. Okay. And you so can't make the, those points up elsewhere. When you when you leave them at home, they're, they're staying there. Oh, yeah. Okay. We take things like banners, like assassinate, stuff like that, where it's like, could I score 15s on them in the matchups where I'm taking things like that? Sure. Do I expect to? Not at all. And that's okay, because we don't win the game that way. We win the game by having my opponent's primary score never touch 20, and that's the way it goes. Or it's a matchup against something like Thousand Suns where I can do my my favorite trifecta of secondaries, which is Abhor, Assassinate, No Prisoners, and we score... We were just going after them.
1: I can't help but chuckle here for a second because,
3: like, those are two of those are ones we say these could be traps. I take those at every given opportunity. We
2: literally preach day in and day out on this podcast, on all the other stuff we do. You want to have a secondary plan, you want to have a plan regardless of your opponent's army. So if they don't give up assassinate, you're not just SOL. If you don't give up a boy, the witch, you're not just what do I do? And you're like, let's, you know, we only scored 20 this game. Sounds good, fam.
3: Like, let's do it. What? how do you good enough how what is so this? in games where prisoners doesn't work long war usually does so as an example against sisters they don't tend to give up much in the way of no prisoners right it's a bunch of like fairly expensive per wound models but they really want to defend that shrine nick there's a shrine and they got to keep it safe which means they're going to be putting units onto an objective a specific objective that you know every single turn, which means that you, as the Chaos player, can take Long War, which essentially reads, get three victory points if you try and stop them at all. Uh, The way Long War works is that you get one victory point for every unit that you kill that was on an objective, and you get two victory points if you essentially flip an objective that an opponent had, up to a maximum of three. Why that's capped at three, I don't know, but we work with what we got over here in the Chaos of the World. So, in games where specific kill secondaries don't work, broad kill secondaries do, and Codex secondaries for CSM aren't broadly very powerful, but in the specific context of what I'm looking for them to do, which is cover gaps when kill secondaries don't work, they work great. Uh, Rise to Glory, broadly not a super powerful secondary. But as an example, when you play against someone that has like four vehicles and four characters, or like three characters, let's call it, where you wouldn't normally expect to get decent assassinate or very good bring it down, you can take something like Rise to Glory and just be like, my Terminators die this game, and that's fine. And out from the bodies, out from behind their smoking bodies, come Abaddon, the Disco, and Lucius to score you a bunch of Rise to Glory points, and also generate UCP. Could you break down how Rise to Glory works? I'm not familiar with that one. Rise to Glory is two paragraphs, so I'm going to give you the short version. So, <laughs> so no
1: one knows what it does.
3: Yes, so the way Rise to Glory works is that you get two victory points if you kill an enemy character, vehicle, or monster with one of your characters in melee. You get an additional two victory points if it's over a certain wound count that I don't remember off the top of my head. Or if it's your opponent's warlord. So and then after you kill an opposing character, vehicle, or monster, you roll 2d6. If you roll under their wound count, you get a command point on the spot, which is actually pretty impactful because Emperor's children have the best stratagems since Strife. So that secondary again is not broadly very good, but when you play against something like the Iron Hands list, that's seen so much success lately from Fu chain. Where they have, like, just a couple of characters, but also a couple of vehicles, but, like, you're not really ever getting to those characters or vehicles with anything other than your characters after you've made it through the wall of guns. Scoring something like Rise to Glory becomes very easy because it maxes at, like, five or so points per turn. So, yeah, you can score a whole bunch of points that way when you normally wouldn't be able to at all, assuming you are playing with that game plan in mind.
2: All right, so you're basically just trying to crush your opponent on primary so hard that it doesn't matter that your secondaries are okay they'll beat them over the course of the game even if it's like a 70 to 60 type of win rather than like a hundred i'm always gonna score a hundred type of game plan i can get the way
3: the way the wins work out is that close games are close not usually on the scoreboard though game my games tend to either be close on the table and show a fairly wide differential on the scoreboard is the way this tends to work i had one game that was like properly close last weekend, uh like the weekend we played um and i literally had a tie i tied against blood angels what causes your games to have a disparity like that because of the secondaries that i take i tend to score them like real wide at the end so something like banners like my banner scoring tends to look like one two two five 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 because early like the cultists put them up and then like maybe a different cultist unit puts them up, and then I don't even vaguely consider that secondary again until all of my assets that need to kill things have completed their killing things mission. Then we go back to it later. But that lets me, by putting up two early banners, you get, you know, theoretically 10. There's a lot of ways that Emperor's Children have to defend objectives that other legions don't necessarily have access to, which is why this list is able to run a little leaner on its like obsec count and things like that, and how I'm able to play the primary game so efficiently.
2: Yeah. Okay. So basically you're just leaning into dominating primary as the plan and secondaries will fall into place. Your army is not like raining obsec out of its ears and it's not hyper fast outside of a little bit of burst speed and it's relatively small footprinted. So how do you dominate primaries, especially in missions like Data's Cry, where the, there's objectives all over the board and it's like a hold two rather than like, uh, you know, some like scouring where you can just sit on five of them.
3: Scry was very awkward with the old list, but the list that I updated right afterwards, it's much easier. But the short version is that, so I don't have a lot of obsec, but, and what has become a bit of a catchphrase of mine, dead enemy models also do not have obsec, because they are gone. So... You would answer this question like that. You sure. really would. Yeah. <laughs> so the trick to clearing the objectives is to ensure that I am, in fact, clearing the objective. When I use that term, it's not like, I'm going to hit the units on the objective. I'll get rid of most of them and obsec will take care of the rest. It is that six inch zone has no one on it. That isn't pink and gold when I'm done and between shooting and melee, you can usually get there almost always. Most of it's in melee if I'm being entirely honest, but the way people tend to have to hold objectives against an army that has this much melee threat is they have to do the thing where they're putting one model on the backside of the objective. When they do that, and you land the charge anyway, because your army has crazy burst speed because of Honor the Prince, you tend to just wipe them. In addition, you maintain objectives as being yours, despite not having a lot of obsec, through the use of a 1cp strat that lets any unit in your army heroic. With proper positioning from your unit, you can protect objectives even with things that aren't obsec.
2: I really like that. Well described. I think a natural thing for your opponent is to just back up as be as on the objective because points as far away from you as possible. And that leaves you a lot of room to charge and take up the vast majority of the space that the objective would permit. So I think that's a really cool interaction. One thing I wanted to note is with your style of list where you're just functionally running across the table, I love to put deep striking threats like warp Talons into the army or a second Terminator squad that deep strikes in and threaten and, and the Prince charges with that. And that would, in theory... Cause my opponent to screen, which would bring them closer to me, so it's easier for my army to latch onto them and get charges like that, which would give me distance and, and kind of get me up the table faster. You kind of have foregone that option, and I'm not one to tell you you're wrong with your aggressive approach, Anthony. You speak <laughs> different languages here, but I, that seems to have worked for me in the past. What's your thoughts on that?
3: So I noticed the inverse happening in more, like, recent 40k, I guess is the easiest way to put that. It's probably been many moons since you played aggressively. Many, many moons. So when I leave things in Deep Strike, people tend to hold back because they don't want me coming down in their backfield, which reduces the amount of stuff that they obviously then put forward, which gives me less charges. So by alleviating that, I want them to feel that they can come forwards. By doing so, it lets me charge them, basically. If they don't come forwards and all of their army just sits on a ball in their deployment zone, they only further that primary differential that they'll never essentially recover. So the list basically plays the gambit of like... If you want to play that game, you will ultimately lose that game. And because it's singles, I can win by a point, and the win is the same to me. Um, so the way I get to my differential scoring, the way I get to me having more points than my opponent, isn't particularly important to me. And if we're frank with each other, there's no world, no list you write as chaos is going to be as good at secondaries as Necrons or Sisters. So this is what we got to work with.
1: That's Some truth. We're kind of getting into uh, part two category here. So let's talk about if I can switches to.
3: How many command points are you starting with? Like, wh- so, what,
1: What's the yep. plan here?
3: So this list starts with 2 CP, uh, which is a, a king's bounty in Nephilim. Because Emperor's Children don't have super powerful warlord traits or relics, I don't feel the need to buy into them. Also, Abaddon being the warlord literally takes away my ability to buy Emperor's Children relics, um, because in order to buy relics in the cast book, you need to have a Legion-appropriate warlord. Um, so I pay for Abaddon's warlord trait um because even though two of them don't see much use the third one that gives him an extra attack or d3 extra attacks and he can reroll charges ends up being very impactful over the course of a game because my cp is structured in such a way that like i know where it's going basically and because Emperor's children stratagems are so powerful i never want to have to cp reroll charges because i have way more important stuff i'm doing with that command point with those command points um from I there. Think you had it right with that single command point that you have left at this point in time. Yeah, exactly. We just spend the one on Abaddon, so I don't have to spend CP on him throughout the game. Also, it makes him like very consistently one round knights, and then I don't have to worry about them either. Abaddon can walk into a full health knight and remove it from existence, and I don't have to worry about that too much. From there, the only other CP I spend pre-game are the two upgrades for the disco to make him into a essentially like a unit in and of himself where he can blender entire other units. And the last upgrade is on the Terminator champion in the Chaos Terminator squad uh, to make the entire unit minus minus one to be wounded and cause any psychers within 18 of him to perils on doubles. How often did you see that working out for you? I had killed two psychers on accident with that over the weekend, so it was pretty good.
1: (laughs) Man, living a charmed life over there.
2: Yeah. We have different experiences with this army. It's just not the (laughs) same.
3: Uh, I mean, like, it was like one of those things where, like, a vehicle blew up and took a Psyker low, and then he went It's to always cast, some things like took...
2: that. I understand yeah. how how the forces of chaos work. I'm just saying I don't get these cool things to happen to me. No,
3: legitimately, yeah. we do play a game where the unlikely happens frequently. Somewhat frequently, yeah, for sure. The Yeah, I mean, one of them was, like, no fault of the dudes. Like, a vehicle blew up, and his only Psyker had to cast Mental Interrogation, and he tried and rolled two fives, and I was like, you don't have any CP, boss, that guy's dead. <laughs> Yeesh. I can finally so. see
2: that being really helpful versus armies like Thousand Sons of Eldor just that spam outside your powers.
0: Yeah.
1: Going into the game, uh, and then with with this, I mean granted, you know, we get command points back. And those certain missions you only get command points back on you know certain conditions that have to apply kind of thing. <laughs> right. Are there any stratagems outside of the ones we've talked about that you do just kind of keep in your back pocket or conserve command points for or try to gain command points for that you really think are going to give you a big advantage either in in you know against every engagement or in you know even list the
3: specific engagements if you have some ideas. So one of the big upsides of Ember's Children is that everything has Marcus Onash so you basically don't ever have to pay for interrupting unless it's your possessed that you're specifically interrupting with. So often what I'm banking CP for in the fight phase is the 2 CP fight on death or it's all stuff that happens before the fight phase, right? It'll be, I'll spend a CP on a six inch heroic with a character or a three inch heroic with a unit, or I'll spend two CP on like a fight last coming off a character. Sometimes that's that costs nothing with the disco. Um, It really just depends on like what, the opponent is, if they're more shooting heavy, I'm spending more CP on Honor the Prince to ensure that I get across the table more quickly. If they're more melee heavy, I'm making sure I have the fight phase under control. If they're psychic heavy, I'll burn CP turn-over-turn turn on Abaddon's 4-up deny to stop key powers. Or As an example, like oftentimes people put psychers forward to cast a spell, and then they try and bring them back with a separate power. If you hit the four up deny on the spell that brings them back, that is six victory points to you because that guy's going to give you three victory points on assassinate and three on a boy the witch. Uh, so, what uh, what armies would you like, like Eldari and Eldari, T Sons do that. Uh, I mean, warp time, right? So uh, I, things I was like actually
2: going to ask um, would you spend your CP for the four up deny on the, like, say, psychic ritual itself? Or like some other key power they have, maybe like Quicken or Doom or or whatever it might be. And you seem to be of the opinion of save it for them returning to home base because then you get a free caster kill.
3: Yeah, pretty much. Like the four up deny, because also that that breaks their game plan and rhythm real hard. Like if you have a caster who that's their entire job, and then he's gone, now you have to devote real casters to doing that. It. Ends up snowballing very quickly, Uh, especially if you go to do it again and it happens again. Most people don't do that though. Totally agree. Yeah. But yeah, from that point forward, now you can, instead of having to try and catch their their action bot out essentially you do that once you catch the action bot you eat him and then from that point forward you can start denying things like psychic interrogation no one's been crazy enough to take warp ritual against me yet because that's just like not happening they don't gotta get the, of the table for that one right yeah <laughs> I would exactly
1: totally that against you
2: know like
3: abaddon and these terminators say please don't take that yeah you just i mean you can take it if you want but like someone's dying you know <laughs> no, it's not good
1: <laughs> you know, do, <laughs> okay. do you have six psychers
3: to do this with yeah, are you real confident? That, I mean, like, like I said, it's an option, but like, it's not a good one.
2: Going back to your list overall, do you ever find that there's certain extremities in 40k? Because the game is broad now. There's such list diversity, like we've never seen. So you never know. You can't prepare for everything at all times. Did you ever find yourself encountering something that could just survive your brutality? Like you know, they're so tough. It just doesn't matter what you do. Or someone who's like so fast you can't catch them, or someone who shoots so hard you can't get to them and you'll just die on the way. Any extremities that you're concerned about?
3: Uh, So there's like a really specific world where someone shows up with like 15 crisis suits and is like takes my approach where they're like, trash is not real. I do not need to score. You need to die. And they take 15 crisis suits that all ignore cover specifically. Like if that exact scenario happens, that could be bad. But like no one's doing that. So that's it's a WTC
2: fine. thing. They do that over in yeah. Europe,
3: but thankfully, uh, that's not what I'm playing in Europe. So, or not thankfully. I'm very sad about that, actually. But that's a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I, there are skews that exist that can make it awkward. None of them are fight phase skews. I don't think there's an, a combat army in the game that could put it on Emperor's Children outside of like some like really wild. Actually, ironically, like Creations of Bile skew. I was about they to just say Creations of
2: Vile. I'll take you up on that. They're my boys.
3: I, I love Creations of Bile. They're my other favorite legion, but I'm also pretty sure they're going to get the old Dark Harlequins treatment here fairly soon, so uh, I'm trying not to get too excited about them, because I'll be real sad if that happens. Hope not. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. No, but- okay, so we've walked through
1: the stratagems, uh, we've walked through the secondaries, we've walked through some list choices here, in uh, part two we're going to go over maybe how this list has evolved, and also how you engage with certain matchups, and you know, we'll, t- we'll talk about Creations of Bile
3: a little bit as well yeah I love them. I love them so much. It's been
1: a great talk so far. i think I've really enjoyed walking through this process of of some what folks might consider as unconventional choices
3: at the moment, yeah, for sure. I think Nephilim has really changed the game. Uh, whether you view it as positive or negative is up to the individual, but like there is definitely a degree of like, okay, my book literally is not going to keep up with other books on secondaries. That's like not an option. Kill it at the idea step. So what can I do to change the game meaningfully in a different way? And for a lot of lists, that looks like a primary differential. And that's where we landed.
1: I'm not letting us get out of segment one without us talking about this chaos spawn, though. Single.
2: Is there a chaos spawn? spawn? Did I miss it? Spawn's in the updated list. Oh, spawn's in the... That that says it all. There we go. (laughs) Come to part Uh, two. Check out the chaos spawn party.
1: Longtime listeners of, of me talking on air know about spawn are awesome we're going to talk about spawn in the second list if you were uh, just listening to this episode please do not forget to give us a like share subscribe a five-star review please leave us a five-star review that is one way that you can interact with the show that uh, helps other people kind of figure out that we're here as well that they can come and take part in this anthony nick it's been a pleasure we're going to pause right here but pick this up again for the subscribers in part two we'll talk to you in just a second
0: Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com